The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and the 2017 Australian Romance Readers Convention. This is episode 32, featuring the Book Thingo bloggers in Sydney. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this episode was produced, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Aboriginal Australians to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance, kill a fairy. Welcome back to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Kat Mayer from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Today I'm with my co-blogger Rudy Bremer. Gabby was supposed to join us, but she piked, and so now we get to talk about her and she won't even know because she doesn't listen to the podcast. You can find information on all the books we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 32. Should I have said that? I, I love it. Like, and it's like a test. If she couldn't even get through the first half a minute of the podcast. <laughs> the Australian Romance Readers Convention happened last weekend and we were both there. So, Rudy, what did you think about ARC? I have so many mixed feelings and I will admit that definitely some of my opinion has changed since maybe a day ago and part of that is that we did go out last night and caught up with a lot of people who went or who have been in the past. On the one hand, I feel like, and I'm getting this feeling from almost every romance event that I attend these days, I want a little bit more. Like I want something a little bit with a bit more depth because I do kind of think that when we're talking to other romance readers and writers, I sort of expect it to be given that we all love romance novels but I, I'm quite happy to love something and be critical of it. I wonder, though, how typical we are of readers or whether this is something that belongs more to the academic symposiums, which of which there are quite a number. And I know in Australia there's a very active group because they're actually doing a paper on genre that has organised academic events where they talk about romance in the context of broader issues. Yeah, you're right. Like I, Maybe we are atypical. And maybe my desire to talk about books in that way is not the way that most readers want to do it, which is probably the case. And it's probably why things like Fictionally Yours have done so well. Like, I don't think that I would really justify paying to go to a signing and then not get any kind of panel discussion out of it. Like, I, I would want the panel. That's what brings me to the event. because we've been to a few events and quite a few signings. I guess the enthusiasm for signing starts to fade after a few of those, unless you have an author there that is one of your top five or top ten and they're overseas and you'll never get a chance to see them again. And then maybe... Do you know how many sign. people were like... Because I got really excited about Courtney Milan being at ARC. Like, I really excited. And when I was telling friends that I was going to Melbourne for this and I was like, and I just, I love her, she's one of my favourites. And they were like... You say that about everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't say that about everyone. I've probably only got 20 to 30 or oh. <laughs> even that's not accurate. I would, I would argue there's probably like 50. 
I mean, we went to romantic times last year, which was fun. But And then even at that, it wasn't a perfect event either. I mean, it was a fantastic holiday. I actually remember more the people that I met there than the actual events that they ran at RT, I feel. Even at ARC, I, I would say like one of the things that keeps bringing me back is the people that yep. attend. A lot of people that I've made friends with over the years and it's a chance to see them, particularly because not everybody lives in the same city, let alone the same state. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This year I actually met, I think I met at least four or five people that I only had known online before then or really just met them on the day. It actually surprised me, but that was a really good thing. I just, I think I expected the convention to innovate a bit more. Like, I really love that they had a Skype session with Thea Harrison. I think the cost of flying authors is so huge that if we can do that, it's really thrilling for readers. And it means that the convention is accessible to authors who don't travel because I've heard there's quite a few authors who, who, for some reason or another, don't travel. But as for the panels themselves, I just thought, I just thought, you know, some of the author mixes could have been better, I thought. Just, you always want a panel where your draw card author brings in readers that will then discover really great authors who are on the panel who might not have built their readership yet. And I think with RT, the, many of the panels we went to did that. And you could see it, like people would be on their phones um, looking up books, scribbling, like scribbling titles. down yeah. titles. Yeah. I didn't see that as much at the convention last week. But maybe they went to their rooms and scribbled it. I don't know. I don't think that I was introduced to any authors or books that I wasn't I wasn't aware of them and I thought oh that's my thing right there that's like that sounds like a book that I want to read and I don't know whether it's because I sometimes think that I'm more of an American reader than an Australian reader I think that in terms of my taste in terms of style like style of writing and in terms of maybe the settings like I've found that I am often more drawn to American authors and then Australians who write like American authors. Yeah, I think this is actually might be one of the issues that face conventions that are run in Australia is how do you balance the fact that the books that are popular locally and published locally probably don't have the same readership as the mainstream romance books that uh, we think about when we talk about romance genre. Amber Barden is kind of perfect example for me in the She's an Australian author, but when you read her books, or when I read her books, she reads like an American. Kylie Scott is another example. Like You read her books and they have a very American, especially her new adult stuff, which is the stuff that I'm most familiar with. Like that whole... Like, and I don't think and- we mean American as though it feels American. It's just that the American romance market is very romance. It's You focus on the couple, you focus on the romantic story, That's what the book revolves around, whereas a lot of Australian romance fiction tends towards more like family dramas. Yeah, like more of a saga kind of feel to it. Which is a totally, to me, it's a totally different read. I'm a sucker for the completely made-up town that doesn't exist. Temptation from Welcome to Temptation. I would go there if that was a real place. I was devastated to find out it's not. (laughs) You can't do it. I know you don't actually US. like it, but I don't, I don't remember the book, and I've tried to reread it four times, and I've not gone past chapter one. Look, that hurts me, but that's fine. But I, you know, I recommend Cruzy. I recommend Bet Me, and I have Man Hunting on my shelf. So she makes up towns all the time. Yeah. So like that sort of made up town. Whereas like when I read when I read Australian romance fiction, particularly that's set out in like rural settings, like 
The land takes over. It's very, well, yeah, and and they feel like real places and it's a little bit harder for me to kind of drop into it as an escapism. Do you think it's possible to set a rural romance in a mythical Australian place that has the same feeling as an Australian small town romance? Probably. It's hard to explain. Like the Australian romance that I've loved the most have always been YA. Malena Marquetta's, Jacqueline Moriarty. Their sense of place is also very strong. Yeah. It's just that with Melina, I never feel like the place is taking over the story. Yeah. But like Jacqueline Moriarty and John Marsden, I'm a huge fan of John Marsden. Like I started reading his books when I was 10 and have never quite gotten over him. I tracked down because I gave my cousin my copy of Winter which is one of his books that I just adore. And after I gave it to her, within a couple of months, I had regret. And I was like, no, I want it. <laughs> but like, you can't, you can't turn around and ask a 14-year-old girl, please give me back this book that I thought that you would like. So I, had, I started looking to track it down and I've, I've gone and found a new copy. I adore Tomorrow When the War Began. I adore Winter. So much to tell you. Like all of his so books. So much to just... tell you was the first Marsden I read. And it's stunning. I guess for me, like books set in Australia, that particularly books set in Australia that have a romantic feel, I am more likely to enjoy them if they're young adult than the adult ones because I'm a little bit like, oh, it's a bit too close to real life. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I don't believe that that should be the case. I don't know whether it's just we haven't seen the kinds of books that we would love. They Maybe. haven't been written or we, we haven't found those authors. I guess like the more familiar I am with with a particular area, the more irritated I get when it when it's inaccurate. Well, you know what really gets me is any urban contemporary romance set in Sydney and they just find parking anywhere. Yeah, that's, like, that's not so unreasonable. That's not a thing. He needs a driver. <laughs> yeah. There is no such thing as parking in Sydney. No. So when um, there's a hero and it's set in Sydney and he has a waterfront apartment, then I know he's like super loaded and he's probably a dickhead in real life. <laughs> anyway, we have completely digressed. So, so off topic. back to the convention. What were your highlights? So my highlight and my low light are the same. I'm just going to put that out there. My highlight and low light is meeting Courtney Milan. And the reason is because I'm sure that I just did not come off looking good. <laughs> I'm sure you were fine. I'm sure she thought you were so adorable in your stalkery fan ways. I know because she's really lovely. I know she didn't mean it the way that I that I heard it, but because we did meet up with her again to have drinks, and Gabby had said something to her about about getting fan mail, and and she was explaining that she's really uncomfortable with compliments quite often, and this idea that there are people who are like obsessively watching to see when the next book is coming out and they're like just quietly obsessing about all of this sort of stuff and constantly checking in and and all and she was just, she was describing me <laughs> i'm sure she didn't mean it that way that's what i know because she's too nice and she wouldn't have actually realized that, but i'm sure like, I, i'm also but I was sitting there sure being like probably haven't exceeded the threshold of fan <sighs> what is considered acceptable fan behavior i skirt the line <laughs> I've not crossed over it yet, but like I'm probably right up there. Like with my with my list of like fifty favorites, I probably get really close to the line of of like inappropriate because I'm hyper aware of the fact that I am probably not the most pleasant fan to meet. 
Look, honestly, the more- I, I do Twitter better than I do real life, let's yeah, be honest. Exactly. So I, I feel a little bit bad for some authors having to deal with people like me who love them and they're sort of there's an expectation that they've got to they've got to actually live up to being like yeah, as amazing true. as a human as they are as a writer how much pressure must that be like if, if you accidentally brush off somebody and they turn around and decide like now they hate you and your books and they're <laughs> going to tell everyone how terrible you are I, know. I mean like I would hope that no one would actually do that based on one interaction but and people get narky about the smallest thing sometimes like it's a pretty difficult tightrope to walk if you're in a, an event where you know you're socializing you can't control what other people say sometimes you say things off the cuff that other people misinterpret anyway i don't even know why we're talking about this this is not fun no, the reason the reason we're talking about this is because the meeting courtney milan was both my <laughs> best and worst moment her keynote the more i think about her keynote the more i love it she basically told a narrative in that keynote without you realizing it. She would make one point and then the next point, but she'd do it as a story and you don't realize that she was already moving on and then she's already she's already up to the next point until you realize you're there already. Like I just I thought that was really quite skillful. It's not it's not an easy thing to do. She does keynotes the way that she writes. I'm just going to say it. Like just cuz that is one of the things that I love about her books. Like you, you don't realize that you've been led into a particular moment until it's kind of <sighs> I actually want to get the audio or the transcript I think Ara usually releases audio from all the sessions I'm not I hope they do that this year because I need to listen to it again in its totality to really understand some of the points that she was making one of the key messages she had was the fact that history lies to women and romance fiction what it does it, it lies back so history lies to us and society lies to us by telling us that we're incapable of things, that we're too weak, that we're too passive. Romance fiction counteracts that by going in the other direction where women are very assertive, we win everything, uh, we can change the world. But she got there so subtly that I really want to re- listen to it again to understand exactly what she was saying at every point of that keynote. Such a good keynote. It really was, actually. I'm... I'm- got a bit teary it was beautiful actually i think a few people did especially when she talked about her mum no. <laughs> no. so let's talk about gabby gabby didn't come to the convention i don't know Rude. i don't know if that is a mark of a loyal reader like i don't think you could consider yourself for example a super fan of cs Cat if you are within a flight's distance to a convention in which she would be appearing and wearing her fantastic bright pink oh my suit God. with shorts. Like, Can I just tell you, C.S. Picat and I, couple dressed the whole weekend. On the first day, we, this is how in sync we are. We didn't talk about it. But on the first day, I wore a white dress. She wore her white suit. Oh, yeah. Second day, I was in pink. She was in pink. We're like mind meld kind of level of close. That's yeah. There was a psychic connection. Really was. So I really love meeting her again, seeing her again. And she's always great, both, you know, in the social – when I say social events, I just mean, like, Just, like, tea, actually talking tea. to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not under the pressure of being on a panel. But also when she's on a panel, she's really great. Like, she always has really interesting things to say. Anna Cowan was there. Was she there? I... Rudy, seriously! Well, she, actually, she was only there for – I think she was only there for the Saturday 
because she had to go home for the Sunday. I don't know what she looks like, so I didn't know to look out for her. And also because no one told me that she was going to be there. Oh, my God. I feel like this is my fault because yeah. I keep forgetting to introduce you to people thinking you'd already met them. You were very bad at that. <laughs> I think I was essentially the Australian version of Where's Wally? Danielle Binks. Danielle, hey. Yeah. Every time I saw Danielle, she's like, I still haven't met Rudy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I keep forgetting. Seeing because we talk online all the time because we have a mutual love of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. We live tweet it. It's basically my sport. We've got a lot of people in common. For whatever reason, we've never actually met face-to-face until ARC, and it was not thanks to you. You did I bad, nothing. Bad. <laughs> I, was, I was a bad, I actually, bad friend. I mean, because at least I have a pretty good idea of what she looks like, so I knew who to look for. So when I found her, I was like, surprise. <laughs> Interesting bit of, I wouldn't say networking, but just connections. I actually met two people through Smart Bitches this year. So one was... you also failed to introduce me to. I'm sorry, but you met one of them. So uh, Tiffany is a reader of the Smart Bitches Trashy Books blog. And Sarah put us in contact because I think she had contacted Sarah about going to um, the ARA convention and Sarah knew that I was going as well. So she put us in contact. Uh, which is great. And the other person that I met through the Smart Bitches is Catherine, who guest reviews for Smart Bitches and who did the guest review of Summer Skin for the blog. And she's going to be, she's written another one that will be posted on the blog soon for 50 Bales of Hay by Rachel Treasure. On the one hand, it's surprising that we don't meet more people in person that we know from blogs at the ARA convention because it's a reader convention. But on the other hand, we met them. Like, it was really great to to meet them. And it's a bit of a fine line. I think the ARA program was so packed with stuff. It was difficult to just have time to talk and really get to know other attendees. And I know they've always struggled with this. Like, at every convention, this has always been It's a juggling act. Yeah, because you don't want the program to feel like there's not enough there. Yeah. I always really admire people who do go to reader events solo because I'm not sure that I've ever been that brave like I got lucky in finding people and then from there being sort of invited to go with them to events but my first hour was similar I mean I went there and I knew people that were going as well but I don't think I hung around them the whole time there are some people that I met at that first convention, like Gabby I met at that first convention, Kate Cuthbert I met at that first convention, who I've basically become really good friends with. I actually forget that that's where we met until I try to think about, oh, how do I know them again? Oh, it was from that first convention. I was thinking about this the other day about how I ended up doing all of these things. And it started because I was explaining the plot of the book I had been reading to a new friend at uni and someone turned around like someone who overheard this conversation like we were at like a mixer kind of lunch deal and she's turned around she goes oh my god is that J.R. Ward Black Dagger Brotherhood I've read that let's talk and so we started talking but so like so I, I was talking to Sarah and she was like oh so there's kind of a couple of us that we all read the same books and you know, we were going to go out for dinner on Friday, you should come. I went along to dinner, I met Gabby, I met Sam, saw Sarah again. I thought that it was a really established book club. I thought that they had 
been meeting for the whole year that they'd been at uni ahead of me. Now it turns out that it was like, that was like the start of this group. But every Friday night we would have dinner. We would all bring books along on a Friday and do sort of a swap of like, I've been reading this, you would really like it. Or if you don't, you're a terrible person. A lot of strong convictions going on in this group of friends. (laughs) I've met you all and you all have very strong beliefs. Yeah, we, we feel very strongly about things. But how funny is the J.R. Ward connection? I actually had at work overheard someone talking about a book and I was like, are you talking about J.R. Ward? She's like, yeah. And then I found out that one of the people I worked with, his wife loved the Black Dagger Brotherhood series and he he read them as well because he wanted to know what it was all about. And so I lent him a couple of historical romances for his wife. (laughs) I mean, that's a series where you can overhear somebody explaining it, and it is very distinct. The villains of those books smell like baby powder. Like, it is ridiculous. How often have you heard of a villains that smell like baby powder? I wonder if um, that would still be the case now. Are people still... Like, is baby getting... powder like a sinister mm-hmm. smell Sorry, now? No. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. Maybe if you have asthma. <laughs> no, 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 that... People find each other overhearing conversations about J.R. Ward. I feel like maybe there are now other books that are very distinctive that readers discover other readers through. Oh, for sure. And like, I think it's been over five years since I read those books and, and made friends because of a conversation being overheard. I think now it's either, it's probably going to be a new adult or a contemporary. It would have to be something doesn't have to but like for it to be this sort of mass phenomenon of like it takes a particular kind of person to butt in on somebody's conversation for one which like <laughs> hey Sarah <laughs> no I loved it it was really it was actually really exciting but what are those books now I don't know I don't know what they are they a, have to have like that really distinct kind of storyline or like features so that you can't actually mistake it for something else and then also be so widely read like, if, if I was explaining the plot to Elisa Claypass, like, you would have just completely, you'd have not bothered to butt in because you'd be like, I don't know, is it Claypass? Is it Chase? Who knows? It is a mystery that could <laughs> never be solved. But, you know, even Claypass, I never met anyone because they were talking about Derek Craven. Oh, God, did I get the right? Yeah. Okay, good. I matched But that also... Up. And I didn't, I've never met anyone, even the Bridgertons, I have never met anyone because I overheard them talking about the Bridgertons. Part of this is I wonder how observant you are because you insisted today that you didn't know that we both loved Mr. Bridgerton, romancing Mr. No, Bridgerton. No, if I heard you, that doesn't matter because we it probably does, talked about I... it and I just forgot it. Yeah. But if I discovered a re- another reader through a book, I would remember. So that J.R. Ward conversation, I remember because it was completely out of the blue. I've had conversations with people at, at work who I didn't realize read romance. I didn't discover it because I overheard them talking about the book. These are books that are... Um, yeah, they're so distinctive that your ears perk up when you hear it because you, you're like, oh, my God, I recognize that book. Like, I can't think of any book at the moment that I'm or any series that I'm reading at the moment where there would be that instant recognition. Because I think it does need to have a certain level of what the fuck are you going Maybe on. Maybe Kirsten Ashley's Motorcycle Club books at the time that they were coming out. Everyone would have their, their thing that they're always going to, like, connect with over. I think maybe we're just JR people. <laughs> Maybe. I'm a Sally. I had a Sally number 
and it was a low number, which I was so proud of. I don't it know. It wasn't what in that the hundreds, means. but um Oh, the people who were part of her message boards. Do you know what message boards are? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm old. I have to like make sure everybody understands what I'm talking about. When I was 15, I was part of Jennifer Cruz's fan fan thing, which was on it. It was a Yahoo group. So I was in a Yahoo. They had a name too, right? You had a name? Yeah. So her fans were the Cherries. The Cherries. And so like everyone in the group had their own name and most of them were like something Cherry. Or like cherry something, whatever. I was baby cherry because I was very Spice Girls. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's hilarious! <laughs> Did you know um, Jenny Creasy was actually in Australia years ago for RWA? Yeah. Okay, so who knows if I'm gonna even leave this in because this is embarrassing. Yeah. So like I was, I was in high school. I was really good at stalking people online. Skill that I've retained today. So I knew that I knew that she was in Australia. I knew that she was in Sydney, and I knew what hotel it was going to be at. Yeah, I knew that. And too. I had tried to convince some of my friends to go with me. I mean, the the hotel was quite close to Sydney Dance Company, so I was like, "How hard do you reckon it would be if we just caught the train to Circular Quay and just like strolled on over and just went?" But because I, I mean, like I was a teenager and. And none of my friends would go with me. And I was pretty sure my parents weren't going to condone actual stalking. So I didn't do it. And to this day, I am devastated. Like, I'm so disappointed in past Rudy for not doing this. I know. I, feel I think like it was an I opportunity. Have, yeah. Just gone to the hotel in the hope of maybe meeting her. Because now that she's not writing anymore, it's very unlikely that we'll see her in Australia. And probably I won't see her in the US. Jennifer Cruzy, like, she's she is my first romance author like that I properly was a fangirl of so I don't think that like I don't think I can be rational about her (laughs) it's really lucky we live on separate continents (laughs) (laughs) if you had a choice between meeting Lisa Claypass and Loretta Chase who would you go for I've met Lisa Claypass have you oh okay yeah she was in New Orleans yeah uh Loretta Chase versus Jennifer Cruzy Cruzy. Um Jennifer Cruzy versus well, I don't know. Jennifer Cruzy versus J.R. Ward. No, it's still Cruzy because I don't think that I could be nice to J.R. Ward. Like I think it would really <laughs> I'd want to tell her all the ways that her book really <laughs> oh God, you're not me. J.R. Ward. Okay. I was gonna be like, look, if it was like Julia Quinn who oh, I wait, adore wait, wait. versus Alicia Rye, like I would choose Alicia Rye every time. I'd be like Julia who? <laughs> no. Alicia Rye versus Real Fabio. Do you know what's really tough about that? I'm pretty sure that Fabio is actually a terrible person. <laughs> Someone tried to explain the ways in which he's awful and I was like, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep the mystery. It's just, it's just not important. <laughs> but at the same time. You oh, can't that's hard. This, can you? You're having it's such still, trouble. it's still gonna. No, look, it'd have to be Alicia right because I've got a cardboard cut out of Fabio, and that's fine. <laughs> okay, because we've played this game of torture, Rudy. Are if you, you if you had to choose between Kinsale and Joanna Bourne, Kinsale, really? Yes, because you're not a true fan of Kinsale. <laughs> you guys are bullshit artists. I love Shadowheart, and nobody else loves that book. I am a true fan. <laughs> 
for context, Gabby thinks she's the true fan of Ginsale. The one she, true fan. I think she is, though. She doesn't even have a Fabio cover book. She's trying. She tried to steal mine. How rude was that? That's what I mean. I was prepared. I, I honestly didn't think she was giving it back. I thought that this I was really, really happening. I wasn't sure, actually. I thought that would be the end of our friendship. Well, it wouldn't be the end of our friendship, but it would be the end of a warm friendship. It would just be like a polite oh, friendship. Because how do, you, how do you cope when somebody borrows a book and doesn't return it? See, I've been that friend, so I don't judge. I don't lend out anything that I can't afford to never get back. I build friendships on lending books to people. And if I've never tried to lend a book to somebody, it's probably because we're not that close. I don't lend books that I can't bear to get back in a different condition than when I lent mm. it. Because I feel like if I'm going to lend you the book and then I'll feel bad that you crease the pages, like what's the point? There's no point lending people books if I if they can't read it. I do have a mental list of people that I've lent a book to that have never returned it. <laughs> I do still talk to some of them, but also a little part of me, just small way, hates them. I've been that You're friend. not one of them. You're not no, one of the people in my list. Me. I don't borrow oh, books. I've lent you a book today. Oh, God, please. Yeah, Actually, like, it's okay. No, it's okay if, if that doesn't come back to me because, like... Yeah, so I try not to borrow books now. I don't want to ruin friendships over returning a crease book. And, you know, I have, like, kids, so who knows where that who's going to sit on that book tomorrow. Like, it's just too hard. Who's going to sit on it? I do have a friend who lends books out and she doesn't, she personally, when she reads her books, doesn't actually crack the spine. So when she lends you a book, you're kind of expected to read it like half open. That's really hard. So that you don't bend the spine either. And like, you can't, how can you enjoy that process? It's, I was so anxious. I was just like, I'll, I'll keep it closed on my dressing table for a few weeks and just give it back to you and fucking lie (laughs) (laughs) well it's too much pressure i think same way like i'm always like a little bit disappointed when somebody recommends a book to me that doesn't suit me so what happens when you're trying to when you either already friends with someone or you're trying to get to know them better and then you find out that you don't like the same books or worse that you think their favorite books are crap (laughs) Oh, I tell them. <laughs> God, you're a good friend. <laughs> yeah. I have two very lovely friends, Mel and Sophie. Mel reads boring books and has terrible taste in books. <laughs> so mean. It's so mean. But it's true. And it's <laughs> and I mean Sophie Sophie quite recently she she joined a book club, which I'm still mad about because I I feel like she's cheating on me. But whatever. So Sophie joined a book club and she was telling me about it. And I was like, oh, what are you reading? She goes, you wouldn't like it. It's the sort of book Mel would like. And I was like, oh, so it's really boring. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> I, and I mean, we, we tell I Mel. not stay in a book club that recommended a boring book. Like, there's just no Like, point. boring and depressing. I use boring for, like, all sorts of reasons. But what I mean is, like, it's depressing and I, I can't be bothered. But I actually, like, I don't see the appeal of a book club where people don't like similar books. I can't speak to why Sophie would bother with a boring book club. But I, I suspect that the people who are not Sophie that are in this club do actually enjoy these books and they don't think that they're boring. I yeah. I guess. I guess, well, so, I so guess Mel the is, Tuesday book club is still running and they always yeah. have boring books. Because I wouldn't feel half as betrayed if Mel was the one who had started, <laughs> like, who had started going to this book club, right? Like, I'd be like, yeah, 
well, good, that's fine. But Mel's feeling betrayed because she's not being invited to join the boring book club, which is so very <laughs> definitely up her alley. <laughs> she's like, she's like, what is this? You know I love those books. <laughs> have we covered everything that you wanted to cover? I didn't really have a thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> is there anything else we need to talk about? We didn't really mention Carly Scott. Did you Scott have a favourite? Callahan. For... I talked about Kylie Scott. Shut your mouth. Do Did I you have it? a, yeah, what was your best moment? Uh, I don't know if I have a best moment. Like, I, I don't know. I attend conferences and I am just in the moment. Like, I actually find it difficult to remember what happened or who I met. The fact that I can tell you a couple of people whose names I remember who I met is already an achievement. Most of Sunday I was recording podcasts or preparing for my panel, so I didn't really go to many of the events on Sunday. I went to the awards night, though. It's always interesting to see who gets nominated, who gets into the shortlists for the Reader's Awards, and even more interesting to see who wins. So this year, Anne Gracie swept the awards, basically. So she won almost, I think, almost every category, if not all the categories that she was nominated in. Um, And Anne Gracie is always really gracious. Actually really glad that she's getting recognition because she writes really good books. Anna Cowan was on, my ta- was on my table, and so C.S. Bacat, I think they're pretty good friends, so she kept coming up to my table. So that was fun. And I actually, I, I don't mean to say that as though I'm name-dropping, but they're actually just really interesting people to talk to and always really fun. I don't know if I have any other highlights. I like the reverse panel. So there was a panel where publishers and agents were able to, ask questions of the audience. So in essence, the audience was really the panel and the panelists were just throwing questions yeah, to us. Yeah, I heard really good things about that and I am somewhat disappointed that I missed it. I don't remember what I was at that was in competition. But Oh, actually, you know what my favourite panel was? And it was because the very best reader question I heard all conference, like all weekend, was in the etiquette one. Miss Fortune's Etiquette Lessons with Bronwyn Parry and Christine Wells. Because it's all about etiquette. Uh, somebody did ask, I mean, like, when you think about, when you think about the, those times, like those Victorian era and people would go to the at-homes and you would visit, you'd visit a house for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, and you'd have a cup of tea with them and then you'd go to the next house and you'd visit and you'd have a cup of tea and then you'd go to another one. And that would be your, like, that would be your afternoon. So one of the readers was like, look, when you've been to a few of those and you've had a few cups of tea, no book I've ever read has acknowledged how do you go to the bathroom? Where and how? That's just what I want to know. And I realised I'd never thought about this. And the answer was just delightful. <laughs> what was the answer? So, in the room, to in the room, there was a privacy screen that would be up, and there would be these porcelain things that sort of look like a large gravy boat. Um, and they do have a very particular name. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what they are. And so you would go behind the screen. And because the underwear at the time, like, they didn't have seams. It was just, like, it was a leg and a leg. And then, like, the actual, like, in the middle was the material kind of folded over. So you would go behind the screen. You would kind of lift your skirt, pull the pull the legs of the underwear, like, away from, like, to separate and just sort of squat and pee. Presumably the rest of the room would just talk a little bit louder because you were in the same room. 
<laughs> and then you would have to hand it to like a maid or whatever and then just go back to tea time with everybody else and that's just that's what they did. Did they wash their hands? I don't know. Probably, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know where they would have been able to. <laughs> so like that you makes just tea so much less romantic now in yeah. all those books that I have read. Right? Like this is the thing we talk about when we say that Regency romance has constructed a mythical world that is not reality because it removes these things that make it less palatable to readers. This would happen at dinner parties. It would happen so like in the dining room. And then someone was like, what if you had to do a poo? And <laughs> the face that you're pulling right now, Kat, is like actually the whole room was having this moment of being in like hysterics but also horrified. And it also sort of made me think about like all those times where there was books where like, you know, someone would get really drunk and they would piss in the corner. And I was like, why would you ever think that that was appropriate? Because that they used to have like a spot where you could do that. (laughs) Behind a screen for privacy. Anyway, it was the best. It was actually one of the greatest things that I've ever heard. And I was so fascinated and I wanted that discussion to go on for many hours. I just had so many questions. Bronwyn Parry, you are a genius for running that panel. I uh, It was great. I regret not having been on that panel that discussed bodily fluids and bowel movements in public. <sighs> I was actually going to segue into something that now sounds much less romantic than when I had first discovered it, thanks to the context that you have now put it in. Um, But I was listening to the Unladylike podcast, which is an Australian podcast that celebrates women writers, women readers, um, women scholars. I can't remember if the event was called the Netherfield Ball, but it basically reenacts a ball in the era of Jane Jane Austen. And they talk about how in those times the fashion changes the way people behaved because the men wore such tight breeches when they danced you could see a lot of things moving around and the last dance of the night was actually people's last chance to have physical contact with each other but now that you've talked about how how they just sort of go to the toilet behind a screen in public and maybe don't wash their hands I feel like that has now put all this knowledge into a completely different context I'm not sure I can enjoy Regency romance anymore is what I'm saying I feel like I can enjoy it so much more but I also now understand all those like morose heroines and heroes who like find visiting time really horrible and difficult to sit through because I guess they really need to have a wee and they don't want to do it in front of other people like I find it really gross It is. It's disgusting. And I think that it is hilarious (laughs) that it's been written out of, like, it's been completely removed from Romance Landia's version of. If anyone is listening to this episode who knows of a book that, of a romance book, like, and I mean romance, I don't want like history with a bit of romance, but a romance book that includes a scene that talks about this part of this aspect um, of society at the time please send us the title and the author because i would love to read it 
Eloisa James wrote a fantastic romance to, novel. I am so behind on her books and I have to catch up. <laughs> well, you are clearly really behind. This is a super old one. Um, she wrote a romance novel that was about a virgin duke and his duchess and they had gotten married very young and then he'd like escaped out the window because he didn't want to be married oh, no, to her. I know this one. Yeah. So he comes back and they're trying to make a go of their marriage and throughout this whole romance he's decided to put in plumbing in his home so there's just a lot of shit like just (laughs) actually shit a lot of it sort of is kind of incorporated in the and it it is fantastic because it's clear that she started researching how would you have like converted a home to have at the time modern plumbing and it's kind of gross the way that it happened and she went you know what it's also really fun (laughs) (laughs) I learned so much and I love it I love that book and I really like I I make a lot of people read it Okay, so I've looked at the program. So at the same time as the reverse panel was the book boyfriends or the playing for keeps sports romances. I must have been a book boyfriends. Yeah, that's what I went to. Was that fun? I mean, I find the concept of book boyfriends both funny. Like I can see why readers love that that notion, but also somewhat creepy. In the they're not actually real kind of thing. But I mean, I must admit, I, there are some heroes that I feel very swoony over. I don't love heroes that I would want to date. I tend to think of them as like they're perfect for the heroine that they've got. If it's successful for me, they're perfect for each other. They make each other better. If you were to remove one of them from that equation, I would lose interest. I'm different. I always put myself in the heroine's place. I don't think I do. So he has to work for me. But what if you're reading a heroine that's not like you? doesn't matter. I'm the heroine. Okay. It might be why I have very specific hero tropes that I'm that you keep going and then ones that kind of really don't work for me. Like motorcycle club heroes have never worked for me really. I don't really like organized crime heroes. I mean, I haven't read many of them, but mostly because by the time I finish reading the blue, I'm like, oh, this sounds so terrible. I don't do reader replacement. Like I don't put myself in the book. Do you cry over books? Yeah. Okay. Courtney Milan is someone who makes me cry almost every book. Alicia Rye has made me cry quite a lot um, in the best way, like in the actual <laughs> best way. There's not like there's not a huge amount of people, but like, yeah, those two are quite consistently. I feel I have many feelings. I actually can't think of a Courtney Milan book that hasn't made me cry, even her novellas. And that's like that's a challenge <laughs> because you don't have a lot of time to invest no. emotionally in a novella. But she does them with so much skill. Do you notice when something is a novella versus a book? Yeah. Because it is such, it is such a particular skill, and there's not very many people that I like, not very many authors that I would trust to do it competently. Who do you think writes novellas well in romance? Because actually, writing a novella, I feel, is a slightly different skill set to writing a novel. Courtney Milan, Tessa Dare does a pretty good job. Rose Lerner, Alyssa Cole. Sensing a theme here. Look, there Sensing is a-, a friendship group here. <laughs> But in terms of in terms of novella, I think that what is important or what I have noticed is that there either has to already be an established relationship 
and you're jumping in at the point at which something has changed, like the dynamic of their relationship has changed. Prior knowledge there, of there each other. There are usually some tropes that work much better mm. in novellas than other tropes. Victoria Dahl also has done quite a few really solid novellas. Yeah, so it would be Friends to Lovers, Reunited Sweethearts, Childhood, yeah. childhood yeah. Besties, Best Friend's Brother, Sister's yeah. Best Friend. And then the other thing that I've found is really important is a time jump. So there's a point in which the story will literally, you'll have missed months. See, I don't like that. I don't mind it. I think that it is something that you've got to, you've got to really trust the author to follow that. The time jumps remind me that it's a novella. So I prefer no time jump. I prefer it to start at a place where it won't require a time jump. I think that's just me as a reader. I, I wouldn't. There are, there are stories that have managed it without a time jump. But even, I mean, A Kiss for Midwinter is one of Courtney Milan's. I'm so leaning really hard on it. But it, part of it is because, like, we've just met her That's okay. in real she, life. She fits and... our theme of the Australian Romance <laughs> yeah. Readers Convention, even though we've segued so far from it. But, like, because, because like, we've just met her, like, and so a lot of her books are, like, right there in my mind. A Kiss for Midwinter is something that I will go back to over and over. And... There is a time jump right at the end. And it's because they, they genuinely, she draws a line where she's like, we had an agreement that you're not allowed to talk to me ever again. I've met my end of the bargain. You have to just not talk to me ever, ever again. And this is the heroine saying it to the hero. Like, he respects her wishes and we're going to write, like, a couple of weeks of him not talking to her. Like, that's a bit. Yeah, but a so couple you of have weeks like, isn't a huge time jump. Yeah, I was so more like, thinking, like, years. Well, I don't, months, I can't. Months. months. Well, like, and so she's done, like, unlocked i think it was a matter of months like i think it was actually the entire season went by you know like london season whatever which i still can't work out how long that is and i i'm a really lazy romance reader in that i don't care no no (laughs) way i just know it starts it happens and then it finishes (laughs) like is it three months is it one is it six who knows this is the reason i enjoy historical romance so much it's because i don't really care about the historical details like it would have to be so blatantly obvious for me to even notice that something's wrong yeah like well this is i'm a i'm a sarah wendell kind of reader in that the duke would have to actually roll up in a car for me to really be like oh (laughs) I think the only thing that would trip me up is language. And even then, I just assume British people speak like Australians. So if they, if they sound too American to me, then I get really narky. But I wouldn't even know if I was right. Like, it would just be me as a reader being kind of ignorant and assuming that I know better because I'm part of the Commonwealth and the author is not, I guess. Colonies. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I will admit that I sometimes feel the same. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, so but like, it's like things like off of. I'm like every time I see that, it just kind of annoys me a bit. I read somebody saying the end all and be all, and I got so irrationally angry because I was like, "But it's the be all and end all. <laughs> what are you doing?" Or, or I could care less. When if I see that in a historical, I get really almost to the point where I can't finish it unless it's like a an author that I love. Look, like actual human people saying that to me makes me well, that's really true. angry. You actually could care less and you are very much not making the point that you think you're making. But yeah, no, so I like I'll get pedantic about language, but like actual data yeah. I I don't I mean care. it's probably for the best Rudy if they're like pooing in public. Like I feel like maybe I'm better off not knowing those details. 
I just want weird details, that's all. Put it on my wish list that Anna Cowan writes a book where she talks about going to the toilet in public. During during yes. an at-home, like during a, a I feel visit. like she would do such a good job. She would. Um, but yeah, so like like Unlocked, it, it has this... Is that it, the bully hero? Yeah. Oh, I, uh, but I think maybe it's because I listened to it in audio and maybe I would have identified more with the hero if I just read it and put the voice in yeah. my head into it. That's, I mean, that's one that made me cry. Like, yeah, that made me cry, but I didn't oh. warm up to the hero as much as I should have, I think. Yeah, I think she sold the bully part a little too, too well. well for me. Yeah, look, that is that is a problem. Like, those sort of, it's one of the things that I struggle with the hate to love when they sell the hate so well. I mean, we were just talking about Sally Thorne and the beginning of um, the hating game and how intense that I bought rivalry into that too was. Much. Yeah. So even for me, I was bordering on not finishing the book um, and I just kept going because I knew that um, more than one reader had said to me that it was good. Yeah, like I kept and reading because I trusted you. After a certain point in time and they got over that initial mm. hostility. I'm sure if I had read this when I was younger, it wouldn't have bothered me as much. Like I would have because, – because I'm reading a romance, I'm always assuming that both characters have some sort of – chemistry that they're trying to deny when they're doing the love-hate thing, right? But I think as I get older, when you recognize some of these horrible behaviors that you've seen in real life, it's harder to not see them as just really deeply unpleasant. Like, it's hard to take them as a light comedy. Yeah, like, it was really hard for me to not just read that as straight-up workplace harassment. Yeah, that was my problem too. And this is the reason I haven't read Christina Lauren yet because their first book, I think it's called Beautiful Bastard, it was so hostile. Like the heroine really sounded like she hated her boss, but also she was, I think she was either an intern or she was trying to get promoted or something. So there was that power issue as well. And then by page 10, they were having sex in the boardroom and I'm like... I would slap him for harassment if he put his hand on my leg and I didn't like the guy. So I just didn't get that transfer. If I could remember the name of the one that I read, all I really remember about it is that for some reason that I do not remember, the heroine decides that she's going to start training. She's going to start like running in the morning. And so she joins the hero on his morning runs and he's like way fitter than her. And they start training together and it's kind of cute. I was like, oh, I wish I had a running buddy. But like that like scenario really reminded me of a Kylie Scott book. And I was just like, is this, a, is this like a thing now? Is, this, is it a new adult thing? Is this what being a new adult is? Having what? a running buddy? <laughs> Falling in love while running together? <laughs> it's not. It's okay. Although actually now I'm thinking I've got a third book that where they become running but buddies. I'm actually, what I'm thinking, you is it? A new adult thing, or is it that the authors writing these books are all of a similar age, and they are talking about running buddies? I mean, so it was L. Kennedy, Kylie Scott, and Christine Lawrence. Christine? Christina Lawrence. Christina Lawrence. So, like, I, I don't know how old they are, but I just cannot see myself finding that fun. Anyway, that's why I'm asking: Are they of similar age? Because maybe they're just going through this jogging experience that everybody I know seems to have gone through. I don't know. I mean, we don't, like, the last time we hung out, like, they didn't really tell me about. (laughs) 
That was a rhetorical question, actually. Sorry. Because, like, I'd hate to presume to speak for people. I just but... don't know what you want me to say. Um, <laughs> at no point. I do not because find jogging is... sexy, though. It's sweaty. Yes, I am willing clean to... Clean sweat. Suspend belief. It's that clean sweat. has clean sweat. <laughs> but in reality, it's just not going to happen. I think one of the reasons that the, that the whole running thing works is that it is something physical that they can do together that's not sexual. Like, they're on the same team because particularly when one of them is more fit than the other, like, they have to adjust. The fact that they are willing to adjust is kind of... Look, it's a whole thing, and it's one of those, like, walking walking in step with somebody. Like, you can tell... I know you're pulling a face, and I don't give a fuck. Like, But it's that thing of, like, when you're walking with somebody and they refuse to slow down when you're not capable of keeping up... It's rude. Look kind at this. of, but then I always feel like this poor guy just wants to get his fitness run done, and now he can't even do it properly because he's going to have to slow down. And that's the thing. Like, like he's made a choice that it is more important to him to – and look, but if you're really – if you really sport all that romantic, to be quite honest. Like, if you're really that bothered about your fitness, like, go for a run in the afternoon on your own, like, for fuck's no, sake. No, well, I mean, I, I – if that had happened, I would imagine that he was doing his actual proper run. Yeah, like he was probably exactly. And so, and then like she's able to like keep. You know. But yeah, like there's there's like three books that I can think of off the top of my head that do this. I think it's because I, as a person, would never, would never think of running as a romantic activity, and I it's think not that's what romantic. I'm having trouble with. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Although, but I, it's a but it's a friendship thing. Like it's a thing that a lot of friends do. I, I don't even find. Oh, it a I've done. Thing, yeah, no, I I have done that. I would actually find it very antisocial if a friend asked me if I wanted to run with them. You should know me better than that. But then I'm not the heroine. But that's why I like inserting myself in the place of the heroine because then I can pretend that I can run <laughs> and that I am capable of running like long distances and doing obstacle courses. Which reminds me, have you read Learning to Fall by Mina Esguera? Not yet, but I have it. Best first date. Why? Um, he, he's like the captain of the rugby team. Rugby union, yes. So for the first date, he teaches her how to tackle. Beautiful. <laughs> Just like, this girl is not sporty. She's like an art student. Well, an art student who's doing art. I just loved it. And she's like, he teaches her how to tackle. Again? Yes. So like, forced proximity. And how to fall, thus learning. Oh, to beautiful. Fall. Aww. You have to read it. Oh my god, I can't believe it. Sorry, she's watching the sound thing going a little bit. I'm channeling Gabby because yeah. Gabby's not here. She's abandoned us. Fucking bitch. <laughs> no, and I and I am definitely going to read it because you actually did give it to me for Christmas. Yes, I did. Yeah. And I think I even gave you an autographed copy, although I can't. Oh, remember. really? Don't know. I can't remember. This is how. Didn't check every, every one of them. Didn't even open that fucking bag. <laughs> Didn't even open the book that I gave her. It's in it's and in pristine condition, though. Literally didn't even open the bag because the bag had stuff in there she didn't even realise was there. I'm remembering... God, we need to stop this. Um, I'm remembering why I stuck with Hating Game beyond just you had said that I should. It was also because I was at my parents' house and I had no other options. <laughs> it was like, read this book or be bored. <laughs> read this book well, or talk to your family. That really well, didn't it? <laughs> Hey, mom. <laughs> Hi, Rudy's mom. Yeah, she doesn't listen. No, because Gabby's not in this episode. She also doesn't know how to work anything on her phone at all. I have to download podcasts for her. And um, I'm not going to do one where I trash talk her. <laughs> 
That's all we have time for in this episode. Huge thanks to our amazing audio producer, Rudy Bremer. You can find the show notes at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. Just click on episode 32. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can send me a tweet at bookthingo or send an email to podcast at bookthingo.com.au. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with Sally Thorne, author of The Hating Game. Until then, I hope you have a fabulous fortnight of reading.